all have a seat. We have announcements. Announcements. Good morning. How is everybody today? Well, just, you know, I come from a long line of Ojibwa Indians, and I will tell you, a little helpful hint is uh, at night before you go to bed, put your socks and your underwear in the freezer. Yeah, it'll help you in the morning, I'll tell you. You can get through a 101-degree day. Oh. Oh, no, Ojibwa's had electricity and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, way ahead of their time. Yeah, good people. Uh, one thing I want to share with you, and I, I, I just want to brag a little bit. Shane and Sally were there yesterday. In fact, Shane was in awe. I just have to tell you. Um, we probably had 50, 60 people at our house. One of my granddaughters graduated from high school. But um, the grandkids all showed up. And uh, one of my granddaughters and her husband are school teachers, and they have a little girl. And I got to tell you, Cindy and I had a blast yesterday watching Peyton in the swimming pool. Just huge grin. It's good to be a great-grandpa. It's a good job. So anyway, I just got to brag about that. Craftsman Ministry. Raise your hand, Mr. Critch. There you go. That's the man in charge. Is it too late to get involved? No, it's not too late. Tomorrow, June 28th at 6 p.m. at the world-famous Jacob's House. So if you're interested, it's a guy time. I see that hand. You want to receive the Lord? Oh, mine says June 28th. Oh, okay. There you go. I stand corrected. Ladies Fellowship, Tuesday, June 29th at 6.30. says, bring a salad to share. That was a line that just discounted males. Bring a salad. Tyler's class in the Book of John meets July 5th. Is that a truism? Okay, it's going to meet on July 5th at 6 p.m. That day is right. VBS. How many of us had fond memories of VBS? <laughs> I do too. In fact, I got to tell you, um, just a, just a warm fuzzy. Jerry Ziegler sitting right back over here, and when I was a little kid, uh, his wife Janet uh, was Sunday school and VBS. And man, I'll tell you, all I remember her was squeezing your cheeks and saying, it's so good to see you. <laughs> you know, it was good stuff. But I have good memories about VBS. And it's a great time for children to learn and plant those seeds about Jesus Christ. Now, here's what they want to do this year. If you're not afraid of sticky midgets, they want people to sign up to adopt a child if they don't have parental units involved in VBS. You all look horrified. Oh, sticky midgets got. Kids are great. Just wear your work clothes. 
so that when you do get sticky, but kids really need to be loved, and children love people that give them attention, and even if they're a little bit unruly, um, kids need to be loved. So we need people to sign up today to adopt a child, and it doesn't require much. We listen, we share, um, just press into their life. It's pretty, pretty stinking simple. So we really need that to execute a off this part of VBS. Okay? <laughs> Great. The guy that's, yeah, the busiest guy in the church site. <laughs> Pastor. Okay. I got a great announcement for you. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Where then is boasting? It's excluded because of the law. The law that requires works, no, because of the law that requires faith. And basically what we see there is Christianity is not a performance. It's an experience. And it's walking with the living God. Stand with us.
us be broken and surrendered to you the cross for you pick us up in the name amen y'all take a seat kids you are dismissed morning. Anybody have, uh, anybody can identify with having a rough week? Anybody? Um, You know, Sally and I got back from our vacation Tuesday night, and we've been running hard ever since. And uh, I woke up early about some things that I've got to deal with and some life issues. I found myself frustrated and almost feeling discouraged, and I had a whole event of things to do that day, and I got this passage. This is free, by the way. This isn't part of the sermon. This is I, I just have to share this with you because it was so profoundly God in my life. But So I open up my Bible reading. My Bible reading happens to be in Proverbs 30 that morning, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, just the first couple of verses. It says this, the words of Agar, son of Jacob, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not leaned or learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name, and what is his son's name? Surely you know. So here I am, waking up early, fretting about life, and my first, the first thing I read is, a weary man that I am. Clearly, I'm not, I haven't learned wisdom because I'm whining to the God that holds all of this stuff and takes care. Anyway, it was great. found myself so encouraged that morning to get up and go about life. And you know what's interesting about the sermon today is we're in Jeremiah, which is at times I was sharing with another pastor friend of mine. I was like, one week it's uh, Jeremiah's complaining or you know, God's saying repent or he's not going to. And the other weeks it's sword, death, and famine. And so it's like you just switch chapters. If you read, that's actually the titles, not every other chapter, but if you go and look, it's almost every other chapter during this segment we're in. So it's like one week, yay, one week, ah. And so it just, you know, how do you preach Jeremiah? Well, today I'm, I'm actually really excited about chapter 15, which I realize I say that often, and it's because I do get really excited about the passage as I go through it during the week, like with great distraction and uh, challenge, um, you know, trying to get back into life after being gone. Isn't that funny, too? You go on vacation and you come back and work extra hard for the week, you get back to try and catch back up. Anyway, it's okay, we'll do it again. This passage is uh, a a very, um, well, it's just going to be awesome, and and I I want you to go through it uh, with me. But one of the things that I realized, and we're going to see this at the end of the passage, is that there's so often times in my life where I'm, I'm complaining to God about what's going on, and, and then he reminds me about who he is. He reminds me that I'm the one that actually has left. I'm the one that's not trusting. I'm the one that hasn't been in his word. I'm the one that is distant. He has not been distant. He is still present and available. And in the midst of this passage, uh, the, the powerful pr- picture of the 
the desperate situation that the that Ju- uh, that uh, Israel or Judah is in, uh, Jerusalem is in, is actually put together with a complaint from Jeremiah, and it's a beautiful end to this. I'm, I'm I really hope you as I was, but the beginning is not going to be much fun. So let's wade into that and and get through this the 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 reality of the condition of uh, God's relationship with Judah. It starts in, uh, the passage we're going to start with is uh, Jeremiah 15, uh, verses 1. I think it's through 2, is all we're reading it. Jeremiah 15, 1. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when they ask you, where shall we go, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. God starts off an example of two people, right? Are they significant to the Israelites? These two individuals that they reference, that God references? Pretty substantial characters, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Moses is one of the pinnacle guys of their culture. He's, he's even argued in Jesus' day, the Pharisees come up and they're like, hey, we're, we're from him. Like, we follow Moses' law. He's a very important character. And God the Father says, not even if Moses was present, would I spare these people? Well, if we go back and look at why, why was Moses an important character, if you look at Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus, we'll be at Ezekiel in a minute. Exodus chapter 32, verses 11 through 14. We'll actually see the very moment where Moses implores the Lord. Look at, look at this, Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. One of the things that Moses did was in the midst of God's anger against Israel, he pleaded for them and said, don't do this. And God relented. And so one of the great moments for Moses was actually pleading in their stead. And God says, even if he was present, I would not relent from this disaster. He uses Samuel. I thought it was interesting that he uses Samuel. We're going to look. It's it's actually kind of an incredible thing. Uh, this isn't the only time that he uses uh, great men of Scripture to uh, hold as an example against Israel, and we're gonna we're gonna look at another one here shortly. But he uses Samuel as well, and there's several different references that we could have grabbed. But I thought it was interesting that in Samuel, First Samuel, chapter eight, we see this interaction between Samuel and the Lord. First Samuel, chapter eight, starting in verse four. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Saul at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing deple- but this, uh, but the thing di- displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. 
And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So here we have Moses on one end as he's bringing them out of Egypt. Moses uh, was, was one of the first priests of the nation of Israel, and he set and established this relationship between Israel and the Lord and gave them the law, did all these wonderful things, pleaded for him, got God to relent, led them through their rebellious generation of, of uh, people through the wilderness all the way into, and although he did not go into the promised land, he was a big part of establishing the nation of Israel and doing all that. And then we have Samuel, who on the other end is at the end of the, the nation of Israel being without a king, and as you saw in the picture, God was their king. He was supposed to be their judge and the one, the ruler that they were following, but the people rejected him. And so you, here you have this picture of Moses and Samuel, and God the Father is saying that their sin, their behavior is so terrible, their, their rebellion has been so great, their rejection is so great, that even if these men were present, he would not relent from bringing disaster. Is that a bad day? Do we, we understand how significant this is, right? This is a very serious issue for the nation of Israel. Any of y'all been in trouble with your parents? Right? I, I, I spent a lot of time in trouble with my parents. I happened to be the kid that would say what I was thinking instead of saying what they wanted to hear. Um, which, by the way, is painful, but my mom says she I was actually grateful for that. Now, at the time, not so much. But when you're in trouble with your parents, there's, you seem to have grades of significance, right? There's, there's gradients of, of how big of trouble you get into. Uh, we were gathered as a family uh, a couple of weeks back, and my sister was describing the story of a fight that the, her and my brother had that I was responsible for because I was the oldest blood was shed, and we had, to, literally, um, and we had to come up with an excuse because we were all terrified. We thought we were going to be... We are going to die. Um, and, and I know that's, a, that's a, a perspective thing too, right? Because your parents don't actually. However that works anyways, it's a terrible way to say it. But we were in big trouble. And so we were in such trouble, we realized how significant it was that we actually spread my sister's blood on an item in her room claiming that she'd fallen on it and that's how she tore open her knee and needed stitches. Some of you as parents are like, my children were wonderful. <laughs> now, that's how we got out of trouble that particular moment. And the first time that we shared that with my parents, I, I don't know if you could imagine the expression on their faces to have realized how far we had gone. But it was such a significant moment. We were in such trouble at that time that we, we went to very great lengths to get out of it. Now, we had other times that we got in trouble. It was kind of like, yeah, this isn't going to go well, but it wasn't a big deal. You know what I mean? There's a difference in that process. God's grace has been extended to Israel over and over and over and over repeatedly, generation after generation of men and women who rejected his word, who chose idolatry, who constantly looked at the word of God, heard from prophets, heard from his, his judges, and turned and rejected him. In fact, you even saw that in Samuel's kids, right? 
Samuel's boys were not following the example that, that Samuel set. One generation. And they had turned away from the way of the Lord. That was the pattern. And in this moment, or Judah is facing that unrelenting, unrelenting judgment of God. We see that. He actually references it in Jeremiah 15, verse, uh, verse 6. You might as well keep your finger in Jeremiah 15 today because we're going to go to a couple passages, but we'll be back to this passage. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 6 says this. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary of relenting. What a painful accusation. What a painful reality. You know, we see him rejecting uh, uh, actually, one is, it's the very first king. I thought it was a little ironic that one of the, the very first king that God puts in place, the Lord actually rejects him at one point. Um, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And it, it's an it's a interesting um, sequence of events. The, the scenario and the context that's around this, I found to be, uh, uh, it's just always caused me to really wrestle with this as I think about my own faith, my own walk with the Lord. But 1 Samuel chapter 15 Starting in verse 17, this is about King Saul, and it says this, And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you over Israel, and the Lord set you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone out on the mission of uh, the king of um, the Amalekites. Sorry, my glasses are not seen very well. I love maturing. And I have devoted the... Obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is, or for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and the presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed the Pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now you need to finish the passage because Samuel and Saul have an argument and Samuel goes back, but it's the end of God's blessing on King Saul. But there's some unique things that you see in this that I think are, are connected even to this part. Part of what we see Samuel or Saul being rejected from God is because he rejected God's word. And we're actually going to see that at the end of, of the passage in 15 where God's challenging Jeremiah in his own relationship, in his own complaint. We're going to see that. But did you notice how Saul's uh, influence was diminished because he was worried about other people? He was worried about his people. The question at the very beginning of that passage is, although you're small in your own eyes, are you not the leader of Israel? Did not God place you in charge? The answer is yes, he was. 
But instead of doing what God wanted him to do, he obeyed the voice of the people. He rejected the word of God and actually gave in to the pressure of the people. That's not a tendency, uh, 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 an issue for us, is it? That's not a challenge for us in a culture that, that is dead set against biblical truth. That's not a, a challenge for it is our own lives when our hearts are actually pushing us to do things, when, when we're being tempted by our own desires to, to trespass against the word of the Lord. I think, it's, I think we have the same exact condition, the same exact weakness in the flesh that we are by God's grace delivered from in the gospel. As I was saying before, there's another passage that actually uses a similar expression, and it's directed at uh, Judah again and, and the nation of Israel. They're in captivity. It's in Ezekiel, and you have to see this because it, I, I it's amazing to me how he, how he does this particular illustration process. But it's in Ezekiel chapter 14. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. This is in Ezekiel's prophecy, and it's, uh, the title of this passage is, Jerusalem Will Not Be Spared. Starting in verse 14, he says this, Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it, and it be made desolate so that no one may pass through because of the beast, even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither son nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it as I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut it off from man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord, they would neither deliver son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Here God uses three other great men of Scripture. And isn't it ironic that as he's giving this judgment to Jerusalem, he uses Noah. What's so spectacular about Noah? Right, we know the story. The sin of the world was so great that God wiped everything out with the flood and started over. But even in that story, Jonah took with him what? His sons and his daughters. How terrible is the sin of Jerusalem? How terrible is, the, is this condition, this relationship between the Lord and the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah at this moment? He's using these names, this, this word picture, if you will, to help us see how broken this relationship is, how devastating this situation is for them. And it's in that spot that Jeremiah offers his complaint. Isn't that great? It's in this moment that Jeremiah brings his plea before the Lord. The, the nation is, is set to be judged, and it's, it's at a point where it's so bad that Jeremiah is experiencing, I believe, a, a great deal of suffering in the midst of this process. In Jeremiah 15, starting in verse 15, uh, going through 18, he says this, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. 
In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that you, uh, for your sake, I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name. O Lord, God of hosts, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with, the indi- with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Was Jeremiah having a, a difficult time? I would say he was experiencing quite a bit of pain. It was, a, it was not comfortable to be a man of God, to be the guy that, that spoke the prophecy of the word of God. He talks about being persecuted. He talks about people attacking him. At the end, he says, why will my wounds not heal? Now, one of the things I love about his complaints is it looks like he's using part of Psalm 1. He actually uses some of the some, uh, key phrases that you find in Psalm chapter 1. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. It's, one of my, it's an incredible psalm. I got to memorize this when I was a young kid, um, which I c- can't say it now. But I did. At one time, I got a, I got a badge for doing that, so it's a big deal. Um, but I love this passage. It's, super, it's, it's an incredible passage. And I think Jeremiah is actually referring to, we, we see three different spots here where I believe he refers to elements of this psalm. He says this, Blessed is the man, Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Did you see it in Jeremiah's response to the Lord? He said that when the word was found, he delighted in it. He ate it. He consumed this word. Did you you catch that? Very much like what we saw in Psalm chapter 1. He says he didn't sit in the seat of revelers. Instead, he sat alone. He, he pulled himself out of that moment. He didn't take counsel from those who were wrong. He, he treasured the word of the Lord. He valued it. And then his response in 18 is that, okay, so why isn't my life better? I'm doing all the things that you've told me to do. Why am I still in this spot? Why am I suffering like this? According to Psalm chapter 1, things should be good. The evil should be losing and the good should be winning. Right? Do you guys see it? Okay, I'm just making sure I'm not, you guys are like, what is he doing? Jeremiah's complaint, I think, is valid. I don't know how many times you guys experience in your life where, where you're trying to do the right thing, and it seems like the harder you try, the more, the more it goes wrong. I, and it, you take this with the, the intent that I mean it, I think that's why God gives us children. Because we pour our heart and our love into them, and sometimes they make good decisions, sometimes they make bad decisions. There t- there's times, as, as I was a child growing up, I said some very hurtful things to my parents out of pure selfishness. And I look back on it now, and I'm, I'm appalled at some of the things that I know I said because of arrogance, self, self I don't know, I, just, I thought I knew everything. And I think that's the condition that Jeremiah is in. That's where his heart's at. He, 
He sees what's happening around him. He's experiencing great pain, and he's faithfully trying to serve the Lord with a nation that does not want to have anything to do with it. In fact, doesn't, they don't just not want to have anything to do with it. They want to rid themselves of Jeremiah. Remember, not long back, we talked about the plot that his own family was conspiring against him to kill him, to silence him. You guys are going to love the response of the Lord. God comes in, Jeremiah chapter 15, 19 through 21. He says, oh, Jeremiah, you are so right. Oh, wait, is that not what he said? Sorry. This is the part that was really convicting for me this week. He says this, thus, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. If you shall stand before me, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as, a mouth, as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. At the very end of Jeremiah's complaint in chapter 18, did you catch what he said? The, very, the last part of 18, he says, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? I believe referencing again back to Psalm chapter 1, he says, This is what the promise was. I faithfully fulfilled this. Are you going to be a deceitful brook? Are you not going to fulfill what you've promised? And what does the Lord say? If you return to me, I will restore you. That's to Jeremiah. What's Jeremiah done? He's gotten discouraged. He's lost hope. He's lost faith that God's there. He's struggling. A lot like somebody on Saturday morning who opened up Psalm 30. And I was like, wait, I don't have the problems Jeremiah does. How am I having an issue? This is ridiculous. And yet that's what, that's what, the Lord saying to Jeremiah, if you return to me, I will restore you and you shall stand before me if you utter what is precious, not what is worthless. What's Jeremiah uttering? Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters? Do you see what Jeremiah was doing? He was burying his heart. He was broken. He was hurting. And, and again, I, I don't blame him. I'm not beating Jeremiah up in this. I couldn't do what Jeremiah did. I don't, it's amazing to me that he, that he stood in, in all of this stuff, that he was faithful like he was. But the Lord's calling him back, and I love what the Lord does. He calls him all the way back to the very first promise that he gave him in chapter 1. He calls him back and reminds him. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. In verse 20, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Remember our relationship. Remember my promise. I have not failed you. Yeah, it's not going the way you wanted to. But God's faithfulness is still present. God's promise still is in place. It's Jeremiah that had left. So often, I think in our own relationship with the Lord, our struggles often stem from real life scenarios, right? 
It's, they're not fake. Uh, they're not made up in our lives when, when we have medical, when we have physical, when we have uh, issues, family issues, whatever. They're all real. Those things exist. And they're painful and they're hard. And all of that's true. But I think when we really begin to struggle, it's, it's when we have, for whatever reason, our comfort level, our ease of life, whatever that is, it makes it easier for us to look at this, our relationship with the Lord, and go, you know, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. I haven't sat in the seat of scoffers recently. I, you know, I'm going to just go and handle life today on my own. I've got it. Right? And before long, we've forgotten where our source is. We've forgotten where the power is. We've become convinced that somehow we're out on this journey alone and, and we're doing everything right. And we're justified in our frustration with the Lord and our frustration with one another and our frustration with life. And I believe that the Lord is reminding Jeremiah that you can't do anything without me. You won't survive in where, I, where I've called you without me. I love today because we're, we're not going into the New Testament at all. Isn't that amazing? I love that because I love when the Old Testament reveals for us a personal and intimate relationship with the King of Kings, the creator of the world that established all of these things. If you turn with me to Psalm chapter 99, we're going to end with the, the Psalm of, of uh, I actually don't know who wrote it. Now, there's no title. It doesn't give us a, a title for who wrote this psalm. But we're going to read uh, just a couple of verses, and it's incredible because they, they bring in Moses and Samuel again as, as part of our example. But look what Psalm 99, verse 6 says. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that they gave him. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship him in his holy mountain. For the Lord, our God, is holy. The psalmist reminds us that Moses and Samuel called upon the name of the Lord, and he responded to them. They valued his statutes. They valued his word, and he responded to them, and he became the forgiving God of their wrongdoings. A forgiving God to them. I'm sorry, and an avenger of their wrongdoings. But the forgiveness of God was present in the Old Testament. It was offered to these men who did what? They called on the name of the Lord, and they valued his word. They engaged in a relationship with the God of the universe. Brothers and sisters, we get the same invitation. Not only do we have the same invitation, but we've been gifted the, the indwelling Spirit of God. That's what we get to engage life with. So when I'm discouraged, when I'm frustrated with what's going on in life, the issue isn't that God's changed. The issue isn't that, that what we're dealing with is too great for us to deal with. The issue is I've lost connection with my Savior. And I need to refocus. If you need to be refocused this week, go read Proverbs 30. It's a phenomenal slap in the face as you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning whining to God about what's wrong with your life. It's awesome. 
It'll wake you right up. Probably not as good as frozen underwear, but pretty close. Are you discouraged this morning? Are you frustrated with life? Do you have issues that are greater than what you feel like you can handle? I want to encourage you that God's available for those things. And the same God that responds to Samuel and responds to Moses will respond to you and me if we call out to him. The same God's available to you and I. That was, In, fa- in fact, we have better access, I think, in my opinion, because we've got it written down in every possible language and translations that make it easier for us to understand. And so if life is difficult, if you're struggling, if you're discouraged and, and wrestling with where you're at in life, then call out on the Lord. Because he's faithful and he'll show up. If life is good and you have nothing to complain about, call out to the Lord and worship him and exalt him and recognize the grace that he gives. And we find that by being in his word, by engaging him in relationship. Jeremiah was reminded, you return to me, I will fulfill and finish all the things that I promised you. Now, let's just not be, let's not be naive. Jeremiah, Jeremiah's life was difficult. And even though he returns and his faithfulness to God continues and he maintains faithfulness to God, he still suffers greatly at the hands of wicked people. And by the grace of God, he saved him as he promised. But it was not probably the way that Jeremiah would have written the story. And although you and I may suffer great things, you and I may experience great challenges and great difficulty, God's promise to redeem us and to do what's best for us and to hold for us an eternal home in heaven. It exists for his children. Although the story and the path that we take on this earth may not be the way we would write it, it is guaranteed by an all-knowing, all-powerful God who sits outside of time and outside of all restraints and constrictions and challenges of man and fulfills those things as a good father would do, that is capable of doing all things within his preference, within his will, within his glory. That's the joy that we have in the midst of the most difficult things that we can face on this earth. So this morning, I want to take just a few moments of quiet prayer. Whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever weight it is, whether it's something simple Lord, help this job to go through, help our house to get done, help whatever that is. Or if it's something very, very painful and serious and deep within you. I want to give you a few moments to call out on the Lord today. Just quietly in your own heart and take the time to do that. And we're going to do that together. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, what a terrible challenge it is for me to be quiet. Um, 
30 seconds is so tough. Even when I'm trying to pray and talk to you, my mind is going a million miles an hour. Lord, I acknowledge that uh, I don't trust you like I should, and I don't know you as I would like to, as we read in Proverbs 30. I'm still learning wisdom. I'm still learning about you. And so, God, the things that I see in my own life, the things that woke me up on Saturday that I'm concerned about and um, the things I didn't even know were going to be an issue this week, uh, Father, I, I acknowledge that I need you. But, God, in that moment of need, I also want to be careful to acknowledge, Father, that you are faithful, that you have been present in every moment, that you have shown up to care for every need. God, that when I was without words, you, you, you gave them to me. When I was experiencing fear and doubt and, and distress, you brought peace. And your word, through your word, you did that, through prayer, through your very presence. So God, I want to exalt you today because you are a faithful God. That even when life is difficult, even when we're struggling with things, you show up for your children. And although it is not always the way I would like it to be, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. And I want to remember that. I want to proclaim that to my neighbors that need to know you as their personal Savior. To my friends who are struggling in life. To my children. To my grandchildren. Father, I need you to do these things, and you have promised that you are present, that you indwell your children, that you are there. And Lord, I know that when I wake up in those early hours and I'm concerned about things, it's because I have been distant. And so, Lord, as you invited Jeremiah to return, I want to confess I need to return, to be hungry for your word, to be active in your word. To find delight and joy because my eyes are on you, not on my worldly circumstances, not on earthly circumstances. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this family. This is one of the great joys of ministry is this little church and these people. I thank you for their gift to Sally and I, and I thank you that we have been blessed with their presence. God, I thank you that that we have so much more to do than to just gather on Sunday morning, but we have uh, the joyful uh, opportunity to express and exalt your name, your character, your kingdom values, your kingdom hope to this current generation that we have been gifted with uh, the presence of. And we need your help to do that as well. So as we look forward to this next year, Father, I pray that you would would open our eyes to your presence. You would open our eyes to the value and the need of your word in our daily life. God, we would worship you in all that we do. Thank you. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. See you all next week. Well, announcement. <laughs>